You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us now and give us full assurance of your love for us in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. We pray in his name. Amen. At the very end of the Old Testament, there's the very short uh, book of the prophet Malachi, and uh, in the second to last chapter, the first verse, chapter 3, verse 1, God tells Israel through the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming." Well, about 400 years about passed between the time of this promise of the one to come to prepare the way and the actual arrival of this person. And those 400 years are pregnant with anticipation and desire for the Lord to speak once again. And most importantly, the desire for him to send his promised Messiah who will be signaled first uh, by a prophet. And this is the role of John the Baptist. John was born to be uh, the one who prepares the way of the Lord's coming as the Messiah. John's role is so important uh, that uh, for this uh, purpose, he's mentioned at the beginning of each of the four Gospels. Uh, we're, in, we're in Matthew today, so I'm just, there's enough material there in Matthew. I'm just going to focus on uh, what it says at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and, ha- and highlighting John's role in that book. <clears throat> we're introduced to John the Baptist in chapter 3 in Matthew's gospel, where he has a ministry in the wilderness, of course, calling the people of Israel to repentance, which is signified by baptism. So he's there calling the people of Israel to turn from their wickedness uh, to God, and this is signified by baptism. And then picking up at uh, chapter 3, verse 13, we have the story of Jesus finally entering the public eye while John is there in the wilderness baptizing. And Jesus asked John to baptize him. And starting here with this request to be baptized, we see that Jesus doesn't meet people's expectations of the Messiah. Even John is perplexed. Even John, the one who is appointed to be the one to pave the path of the Lord's coming, is perplexed by Jesus' request. As Matthew explains, John would have prevented Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Well, in the end, John uh, does baptize him at Jesus' insistence, and then after the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus, an audible voice is heard from heaven, the Father uh, confirming Jesus' identity there at the baptism. Right before the baptism there in chapter 3, John explained that the Messiah would would come in power. He would have a political role separating the the genuine Israelites from the imposters. He would bring justice, clean up Israel, right wrongs, usher in peace. But this doesn't happen right away. Jesus continues to do strange things going against people's expectations. After the the baptism and the the Father's voice heard from heaven, Jesus goes off on a 40-day retreat of prayer and fasting. And then after these 40 days in the wilderness, he calls his first disciples, who are uneducated fishermen from the hinterlands of Israel. 
This is not the, the, the band of people that you would expect the Messiah to gather around himself based on John's description. And then later in Matthew's gospel, <clears throat> he calls the tax collector Matthew himself to be one of his followers. And Matthew throws a party for Jesus with a bunch of other tax collectors. And these were people that uh, Jewish society would have hated. They were sellouts to the Roman government, betraying their own uh, Jewish kinsmen. And so after the party with the tax collectors, we learn in chapter 9 of Matthew, the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And so we see here that not only was John perplexed by Jesus's behavior, but John's disciples were perplexed as well. Jesus isn't meeting their preconceived notions about what the Messiah would be like. And so we get to chapter 11, which is our, our reading today. And not only is Jesus' behavior a challenge to him, but now John is in prison. And so he's confused. On the one hand, he sees certain things and hears certain things. I mean, like the voice of the Father from heaven confirming Jesus' identity. On the other hand, there are all these things happening uh, that John doesn't expect, and now he's in prison. This is the prophesied prophet who was supposed to pave the way of the Messiah, and, and now uh, he is uh, in the king, uh, the Roman vassal king Herod's uh, prison. Rome is still obviously in political power. Didn't Jesus come to bring restoration to Israel? Jesus, what's the holdup? And as I said, meanwhile, John also hears rumors while he's in prison of the messianic things that Jesus is doing, the teachings, the healing, raising of the dead, uh, and whatnot. So he's hearing and seeing certain things, but here he is in prison, and he's still perplexed. So he sends his disciples to clarify. The disciples asked Jesus, the disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? If you think about it, it's, it's actually quite a reasonable question to ask, considering all the circumstances. I don't know about you, if I were in this situation, I might ask a similar question as well. And to this question, Jesus responds, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And so what he's doing, what Jesus is doing in his response is not simply uh, being straightforward about his, his answer. He's, he's, um, he's not simply saying, yes, I am the one. He proves it by pointing to evidence instead, evidence of multiple prophecies fulfilled about the Messiah who was to come, uh, mainly from Isaiah, things they themselves have seen or heard about, just as John is hearing about while he's in prison. Now, when uh, John's disciples leave, Jesus turns to the crowd to give a brief sort of sermonette on John the Baptist. I don't want to dwell on this. I really want to draw out and highlight verses 3, 4, and 5. But just to to address what's happening here when Jesus talks about John to get it out of the way, um, in the same way that he asked John's disciples to look at the evidence and demonstrating who he himself is, Jesus also points to John for the evidence that, that John is the expected prophet, meaning that John's role was to prepare the way for the Messiah. So ultimately, Jesus isn't actually talking about John the Baptist, but he's talking about himself. 
It's yet one more piece of evidence. In spite of John's doubts, John is the, uh, the expected one to come to prepare the way uh, that is prophesied in Malachi 3.1, and therefore, it's one more thing that confirms Jesus' identity. So let's highlight and consider the question that John's uh, disciples ask in verse 3. Really, this is what I want to talk about today. They ask, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Well, I find that at some level, all people are asking this question about Jesus. At some level, anyone who's confronted with Jesus Christ knows about him, has to be asking this question. They might not be asking it in this exact way, but all who are faced with Jesus are asking this. Is he really the one who he says he is and who his disciples claim he is? Or should we look for someone, or in our day and age, should we look for something else uh, for answers? Really, this is a, a question about meaning that we're all forced to grapple with. And I think perhaps right now in 2019, going into 2020, more than usual, people are really wrestling with meaning. Uh, This is confirmed because dictionary.com's word of the year for 2019 is existential. They they said their word for 2019, dictionary.com said is existential. As dictionary.com explains, existential inspires us to ask big questions about who we are and what our purpose is in the face of various challenges. And it reminds us that we can make choices about our lives in how we answer those questions. In other words, right now people are asking questions about existence and they're looking for answers because of all the things that are happening in our world, all the various things that are making people wrestle with meaning, wanting to know answers about existence. They're really wrestling for it, and when they don't get answers, they're led to despair. It's hopelessness, nihilism. If we're all asking whether Jesus is really the one or whether we should be looking for another, then we can also follow Jesus' lead and point to what we've seen and heard, the evidence, as he does in verses 4 and 5, to answer this question about meaning. You know, beyond the fulfilled prophecy, which is what Jesus is pointing to, he's pointing to, for John's, uh, the Baptist disciples, he's pointing to fulfilled prophecy, and there's a lot of it. If, you're, if you want to do an investigation, there's a ton of fulfilled prophecy uh, from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's a major theme that Matthew highlights in particular. But beyond the fulfilled prophecy, we know um, some other things <clears throat> that give us evidence in the same way that Jesus would respond. His disciples proclaimed he was raised from the dead, confirming his identity as the Messiah, that he didn't stay dead but rose again, and therefore must be who he uh, said he was. And they did this for no earthly benefit for themselves. In fact, most of them were killed for it. Why would they spread rumors that got them killed if they knew that this was fake news? Most people don't do this. This is crazy, and especially a large group of people. So perhaps it's true. And this is why Luke, who we're told is a a sort of scientist, he's a physician, a doctor, someone with an analytical mind, Luke, in writing his gospel, said at the beginning, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke, who was not one of Jesus' original disciples, didn't spend time with him, but was with the apostles, did research and collected this narrative over the course of time and created an orderly account of the things that uh, happened among the uh, audience, the original audience, that many people were eyewitnesses to these things. Similarly, Peter and John, early in Acts, told the Jewish religious authorities when they are being called to task for preaching Jesus. In the beginning of Acts, they say to the Jewish religious authorities, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, just as Jesus says in verse four of our passage today. What have you seen and heard? They've seen something and heard something, and they can't help but talk about it. That's why in his second epistle, Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And John also, who was with Peter there in, uh, early in Acts, held, held uh, in front of the religious authorities, John in his first epistle writes this at the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it. This is why Paul, uh, toward the end of Acts, tells King Herod Agrippa, the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. This didn't happen in secret. Uh, It's not a myth, but many people saw and heard these things. Some even touched it, like Thomas was given opportunity to touch. So I ask you, what have you seen and heard about Jesus Christ? Do you see and hear all of this evidence? Consider not only what's in the Bible here at Elsewell, where, but also consider this, the world has been completely turned upside down for the better part of the past 2,000 years. Don't you know that education, schools, universities, hospitals, hospice care, orphanages, assisted living, adoption, and many, many more similar things have only really come about because of the love of Christians? Because of people who've seen and heard something about God's love that they did not deserve come to them And because they know this, they can't help but to also love in the way that God has loved them. Because they're convinced that though they don't deserve God's love, he's loved them, they do these things. Have you seen and heard things like this? Is Jesus the one, or will you look for another? If you look to another for meaning and purpose, you will never have certainty and hope. The one thing Jesus offers that no other religion or philosophy offers is assurance. If you say that he is the one and trust in his death and resurrection for you, then you can have assurance, a promise, a guarantee, certainty about things to come. 
That's why in verse 11 of our passage today, Jesus says this about John the Baptist, but also about you, about you and me. He says this, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There's a joke that goes like this. Do you know what they call the guy who graduates at the bottom of his class in med school? Have you heard that one? They call him doctor. (laughs) Well, you have an offer to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. And being the least is greater than being even God's greatest prophet on earth. How do you have assurance about entrance into the kingdom of heaven? By not being offended by Jesus, but trusting in the things you have heard and seen about him. Trusting that he is the one who has promised to come and you have Uh, no more need to look for another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these many things that you have given us uh, to see and hear, uh, to give us assurance about the promises you've given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to have faith and to hold fast, to trust in these things, ultimately that he is our savior and Lord. We pray in his name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.